0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today's title is Legalism, Antinomianism, and Forest Fires. So Aaron, tell us what that is all about.
1: Well, I like to watch and observe people and listen to what they're saying and try to pay attention to what's going on around me because that gives me a bit of a sense of the climate and milieu within which I live and kind of what's going on in the world. And then that enables me to minister more effectively to people. And the other day, we had an interesting thing happen on our farm. I found one of my heifers had been attacked, I think, by uh, a pack of coyotes, and they really messed up her ears. So I've had her separated in a different stall and uh, kind of a different field. And one of the things I did to, to help protect her at night is I, I just I have an old radio in the barn, and I just turned it on. And I, I wasn't paying much attention to what channel or station it was on. I just wanted something with a human voice, because if you turn on... A human voice wildlife is more likely to think you know there's a human around and, and then they won't enter the property so as i've gone out there to feed the animals on occasion over the last few days i've my ears kind of caught what's being talked about and i realized it's actually cbc oh no it's <laughs> <that's> on <laughs> that definitely keeps the animals around. <laughs> it's interesting chris that literally without exception every single time i'm in there even if just for a few minutes There's climate change being talked about, or there's the LGBTQ agenda being talked about, or there's forest fires being talked about, or there's discussions about the vaccines being talked about. And it makes you wonder like, is this all you guys think about? And then I jump on Twitter and it's the same thing. It's like every other post is about... People hating the LGBTQ agenda or climate change or the Canada's forest fires, which are proof that the world is burning and falling apart. Carbon emissions are up and we need to do all this stuff. So I give those illustrations to re-emphasize something we've emphasized before in our program and that we we are not in a, a situation where people are just talking about what is going on in the world around us. All of it is interlaced with a neo-pagan agenda. Now, what I mean by that is if you think of the old pagan religions, they lived in constant fear of their environment. They lived in fear of famine, of war, of pestilence, of rising sea levels, of the gods not allowing them to have children. Constant fear of their physical environment. And in order to protect themselves, they would cut themselves hmm. in order to appease the gods. They would burn their infants on altars in order to appease the gods. We read about this in the scriptures where adherence to the God Moloch, for example, would offer their children as sacrifices to God. Some of the ancient pagan peoples like Vikings, when they would die, they'd, they'd bury all their wealth with the person that had passed, hoping that would somehow benefit them in the next life. So everything people worked for was just buried in the ground and lost. So wealth was being lost generation after generation. They were very committed to vengeance instead of forgiveness and love. There was a lot of emphasis on taking revenge. If, if you attack me, I'm going to attack you. If, if you um, did something bad against my tribe, we're going to get you back 10 times over. Sex cults were a very common. Sexual promiscuity was very common, interwoven with the religious fabric of pagan cultures. And we might be tempted to think, well, that's something from thousands of years ago. Like We are are now in the modern era and it's so different. But in reality, Chris, history repeats itself. And we see in a more sophisticated and uh, perhaps culturally appropriated way this new paganism where people live in constant fear of the environment. So a few years ago, it was like global terror that we're all going to die of a virus and that's all people could fixate on. Then we have the forest fires and the climate change. And obviously there are, there was a virus and there are forest fires, but it's amazing how much time and energy is put into not just reporting these things, but tying them into this broader agenda that the world is falling apart. The sky is falling and we need to somehow do something uh, radical about this. So we live in what I would call a pagan state, a neo-pagan state. And, there's a lot of ironies to it. So if you think about this, the, the paganized state lives in constant fear of of the climate. In other words, the physical environment. That includes viruses in the modern era. That includes wood smoke. We're all terrified of breathing in a little bit of wood smoke. But the same people that are terrified of viruses and wood smoke are out puffing away on cannabis and actively promoting that. They are... Passing on STIs by having sex with pretty much anything that moves, viruses. We've talked about this before, but I would I'm not sure if I want to encourage it, but have have our listeners given careful thought to the dra- dramatic, deadly health effects of anal sodomite sex, the cost to the healthcare system, the the innate disease that's transmitted in that act the damage to the body that's done to that i know we don't want to think about these things because they're kind of repulsive but we live in a culture that says this is okay and yet medically even if you're not religious it's not okay it's not healthy nor is it healthy to be a heterosexual and to go to a friday night having sex with a different partner nor is it healthy to um abandon your marriage and have affairs on the side. It's not healthy financially to break down marriages and to see, uh, let's say, a working man having to support two new families. So even if you aren't a Christian, like there are actual, tangible, physical consequences to these kinds of activities. So on one hand, we're living in fear of wood smoke while puffing away on cannabis smoke. We're terrified of the COVID virus, but we're spreading around all sorts of sexually transmitted infections. And then, of course, we have this fake meat movement. Think about it logically. You have an animal out in the field taking grass and transforming it into meat, which you're going to eat. And somehow that's going to cause the world to fall apart. But it's okay to collect up a bunch of chemicals and ingredients and truck them in from faraway places and brew and stew and wave your wand and come up with fake meat in a laboratory. I haven't looked at the science of this, but I have a sneaky feeling that that stuff's probably not real healthy for your body, your digestive system, and how your body absorbs it and uses it. But this is the nature of... A humanistic, neo pagan culture, where we we want we're desperate to to save the environment. We're desperate to create this, basically heaven on earth. This humanistic, this human wrought utopia. Instead of over, and, and at the same time overlooking God's clear laws, and we're going to get to legalism and antinomianism in a moment. Mm-hmm. God's the clear laws that God has placed upon cultures and civilizations to mitigate against some of this, but also to live with the reality of some of these pestilences, diseases, death that we, we experience. Now, here's where I want to bridge the gap. I think a lot about God's laws. In other words, the regulations, the principles, the commandments that God has declared in his holy word and through through revelation throughout history, both to the prophets orally. And then, of course, what we have in the word of God. And when it comes to God's laws, it's pretty difficult to imagine that the, the broader culture is going to understand the priority and benefit of God's laws. For instance, the ones that pertain to the social order, not I'm not talking about ecclesiastical laws or some sort of laws leading to salvation. But there are laws in the word of God that apply to human flourishing. So we it's not an, it's not a church law. It's not an ecclesiastical law to say thou shalt not murder. Mm-hmm. That's a social law that everybody, all human beings should should agree with. It's not a, a Baptist law, a Presbyterian law, a Catholic law to say don't purge yourself in court. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a law that is meant to apply to a fallen world within which we have to have courts to adjudicate matters of justice. So don't purge yourself in court. Don't bear false witness as the Ten Commandments uh, articulate. People sometimes think all the laws are all church laws. This is not a church law. This is a universal transcultural law that actually applies to social structures in a fallen world, not as a means of getting you to heaven, but to aid in human flourishing. So we don't we don't murder. We don't bear false witness in court. And we have to we should promote these things every every culture should promote these things in the broader social order. But here's the thing. If if the church itself doesn't understand the nature of God's laws, how do we think the world around us, which is much further removed from the word of God and God's revelation of himself, how are they going to get their a- act together and understand the application of God's laws to life? So what I want to speak out against is es- essentially what I want to do is, is talk a little bit about the misuse of God's law in the Christian church and how that leaks out into the broader culture. And I think there's two extremes Mm -hmm. and some of you might, as you assess yourself say, yeah, I kind of lean more in this direction and others that direction, but I want to talk about legalism and I want to talk about antinomianism. So legalism is essentially applied to salvation this notion you can work your way into uh, god's good grace that you can work your way into justification or or sanctification or or uh salvation and also when it's applied to the social order it'd be this notion that if we just get our laws right the world's going to be fixed Mm -hmm. that's this legalism and then antinomianism so anti is means against in greek and Namos is the Greek word for law, so anti-law. So when you hear the word antinomianism, it means anti-law. So it's the opposite of legalism. And the ism makes it a belief system, by the way, when you add ism to the end of a word. So legalism, I can work for my salvation or we can just put laws in place and it the world will be fixed. Antinomianism can express itself in various forms. One would be, well, the world's all going to burn up anyway, so who cares? Just do what you want. That, that kind of a mindset. Or that somehow law is the antithesis, the opposite of gospel grace. That it has no place. It's like the the gospel of grace has shooed out the law. There's no longer any rules, no longer any regulations. Any attempt to do good works is totally bad. It's Roman Catholic. Any attempt to bring structure to society for human flourishing, that's not our job. Stay away from it. Don't ever promote public justice just preach the gospel of grace that mindset or the mindset that grace allows me to do whatever i want Mm -hmm. we have christians that have this notion that because we're saved by grace shockingly i can now literally do whatever i want it may not be right but i can still do it because my sins have been washed away past present and future so if i want to fornicate well i may lose a few rewards in heaven but i'm still going to get there and it, it it misunderstands that is a misunderstanding both of grace and of law mm-hmm. and so that's kind of where i want to want to take us today in our our conversation about legalism antinomianism and forest fires which are the public response to that is yet another symptom of this neo-pagan dream to bring about a utopian world, devoid of climate fluctuations, viruses, and at the same time, the promulgation of radical, unfettered, sexual, hedonistic freedom. Mm.
0: Yeah. I've heard it described um, by people as, you know, trying to walk a narrow path between two ditches. And so you got both extremes. (laughs) Obviously we don't want to end in them. So to help our listeners, can you help to examine the deficits of antinomianism and legalism we want to confront those and I think based on our assessment antinomianism is probably the one we should start with because it seems to be more common today in the church and as you mentioned it's an ism it's a belief system so can you
1: can you walk us through the deficits of that I think that's true if, if you were to go back in a time uh, machine to my upbringing in the Christian church as a very young child legalism was a massive issue I mean, they there were. I did, I did come, I did come to faith in Jesus Christ in a very legalistic church, and I'm grateful that the gospel was preached to me. But everything from the color of your car, and I'm not not joking, the color of your car, uh, ear piercings, um, the color of your shirt, these were all controlled by the ecclesiocracy, by the church, and. I remember, this, this might sound like, a, pfft, oh, it's so strange. It might almost seem like I'm making this up, but I remember there was a man, an older gentleman in our church that would not speak to my grandfather for over a year because my grandfather bought a little four-cylinder car that happened to be red. <clears throat> and he thought that was a sexual color it was unbecoming for a Christian to buy a red car. It wasn't even like he was driving a, you know, fancy muscle car or something. It was just this little cheap. I can't remember the name of it. Fiesta or festiva or something like that um, car. And that was worldly. Right. So that, that's an extreme example, but that was in that context, a regular occurrence. And so even though, you were told, Oh, you're saved by grace alone. You felt as though you were saved by the law, Hmm. which was an interesting environment to be raised in. But the pendulum has swung and antinomianism, this lawlessness that exists in culture. It's like, there's no rules anymore. We saw that even in terms of patterns and norms, well, we don't really need to meet as a church. We don't, we don't really need to do in-person baptisms. It's all symptomatic of this antinomianism. Antinomianism essentially appeals to the self for law. So I decide my own rights and wrongs. Or they conceive of God as loving to the exclusion of being lawful. Hmm almost like a permissive parent that never disciplines their child but always has a word of encouragement no matter what they do now this can be expressed in a variety of ways for example um uh radical libertarianism radical libertarianism most most people that are part of the broader, broader freedom movement appreciate the word libertarianism because they conceive of it as the government doesn't have control over my life but actually True radical libertarianism is not scriptural. I don't call myself a libertarian for a reason. It's not scriptural to, to be liberated from what, from authority. Well, you're not liberated from authority. You are when they function properly under the authority of the state, a wife's under the authority, of their husband, child, under parent congregation of under eldership, we're not all suggestors. We actually have authority. And, um, then. Uh, not only is it demonstrated in libertarianism, but also anarchy, that you're not subject to the state at all. So that's a, another example of antinomianism. I, I do what I want. I'm a free person on the land. Nobody tells me what to do. Or hyper grace, which I've alluded to earlier. I'm, I'm saved by grace so I can fornicate. And I'm eternally secure. Talk about an abuse of God's grace. I'm eternally secure. I have my ticket in hand to heaven, so I can do what I want. I may forfeit a few rewards, but I can do mm. what I want. And by the way, um, from a reform perspective, it's always better to speak of eternal assurance than it is to speak of eternal uh, security. And I think that's really important for people to understand. Assurance and security are two different words. Do you want to just maybe explain that concept a little bit more for me? Yeah. So when we talk about justifying grace, it's from God. It's a result of God's eternal decrees, God's electing plan the predestining will of God. So all of our salvation, God sets his sights on humanity. The Bible is very clear on this, apart from any efforts that we could possibly do. And the Bible speaks very clearly about these things. It's pretty hard to deny that if you're reading passages like Ephesians chapter one, and you're reading the book of Romans, especially when you get into the 10th chapter and on God elects people to salvation. And to deny that is to deny the clear teaching of scripture and to try to play games with the biblical text because you're trying to fit in your views of partiality or fairness or free will, which is not a biblical concept. You're trying to fit these things in. So God, God oversees salvation and and people that believe in that then often say, well, then I'm eternally secure because if God has declared me righteous in a sight, he's justified me, then I am eternally secure in the, you know, edicts of God. But maybe we failed to ask this question. How do you know you're saved? Because when you're saved, when you're justified, you don't get a letter. Hmm. You don't get a tattoo. So you're told in the scriptures that God is the one who's ultimately behind and involved in and in a sense causing your salvation. But you don't have like something you can hold on to that quote unquote proves your standing or your status with God. What you can have is absolute assurance. But when the Bible speaks of assurance, assurance involves both the belief that God is the one behind our salvation, that we did not choose God. No man seeks after God, Romans 3 says, that God sought after us, that we by nature do not move towards God, we move away from God, but God moved toward us and God saved us by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you believe that to be true and the holy spirit bears witness to that in your life there's going to be necessarily this is a key word necessarily fruit and sanctification that flows out of that it's necessary the fruit of the spirit will begin to show up in your life you will treat people differently your heart will be changed love a thirst for the word of god etc That fruit is not the means of your salvation, not the means of your justification. It's part of your sanctification, but it's one of the proofs that you are actually a saved individual. This is why the Bible says by their works, you shall know them. Mm -hmm. Does that exclude your beliefs? No. Does that say you're saved by your works? No, but both correct belief and action assure you of your salvation they don't together justify you Mm -hmm. there's often a a, a mixing of the two or a a failure to separate justification from sanctification appropriately Mm -hmm. in terms of our biblical theology but you're justified exclusively by the grace and mercy of god but you necessarily will change so if a person has belief but they do not have fruit we can say definitively they're not saved Mm Now when I say fruit do I mean absolute sanctification? No, there's going to be highs and lows, ups and downs. But a person is actually believing in a false gospel if they say, "Well, cognitively I assent to the content of the gospel, therefore I know I'm saved, but I have absolutely no abiding obedience in the Lord. I have no fruit, I have no interest in the things of God." Well, then we can say definitively you 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 actually weren't converted. You just assented. Mm -hmm. to a a creed or the facts of the gospel without the transformative power of the gospel. So it's really important. I think it's better language for us to talk about assurance than it is to talk about security. So when I preach, I've done this for years, I always talk about eternal assurance, 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 assurance. Mm -hmm. I don't talk about eternal security as popular as that language has been in, in, in recent uh, generations, because I think it, it obscures the true nature mm. of our salvation by focusing strictly on the decrees of God and downplaying or even undermining the necessity of fruit in the here and now as a necessary and inevitable um, proof of the fact that you've been saved by God's grace. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, that totally does.
0: I just want to cycle back to a a question that popped into my mind when we were talking about antinomianism, and it has to do with a conversation I was having with somebody about the, the interplay between our heart and our actions. So when you listen to, for example, a lot of modern music, it will say things like, all you ever wanted was my heart, which I don't believe is true, but can you comment on that at all?
1: Well, we have this idea in, in, in the Western mind that there's the mind, the rational side of humanity, and then there's some emotional mind. Well, the heart actually doesn't think. Your heart is a, medically, it's an organ that just pumps blood through your body. The only thing that thinks in you is your brain. So when the Bible talks about your heart, it's not talking about some internal emotional aspect or element of you to the exclusion of your mind it's the whole of the in interior life it's the whole of the inner man and even in saying inner man i'm not trying to uh draw a sharp line between the 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 inner man and the body for example because we are unified beings but there is an inner aspect to our humanity and that's uh self-attesting in that uh your your mind can be affected by truth that allows you to for instance endure and persevere through great suffering or sickness while your physical body is maybe being beaten or ravaged with disease so we're not trying to be radical dualists but there <clears throat> i don't believe that we uh are, are correct to be so integrationistic in our understanding of our anthropology that somehow we we failed to, to see any any Difference between the inner and the outer man. There is an inner aspect to who we are, and that involves primarily what we call our mind. So when the Bible talks about our heart, really it's talking about our mind, the whole interior man that ascends by God's grace to his work in our lives. So if I say, I love you with all my heart, really what I'm saying is, I love you with all my mind. Mm -hmm. So even when the Bible says, you know, we're to love the Lord our God with body, soul, mind, and strength. It means with our whole being. It means actions, words, the, what we look at, what we don't look at, what we hear, what we don't hear. Our emotions, our affections are to be directed towards God. It's the whole of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's there's nothing wrong with talking about loving God with our hearts, but we have to be careful to help people to see that that's not some – emotional experience to the exclusion of the mind. We never ask people to check their minds at the door Mm -hmm. when they enter into Christian worship or when they read scripture. But I have a suspicion that many Christians think that way. It's like, well, you're, you're more of a mind guy. I'm more of a heart guy. What does that even mean? That's a false dichotomy. We are to love the Lord our God completely and wholly. And I'll tell you this, when my mind is filled with truth, it affects my emotions. When I, when I read scripture and I hear dramatic accounts of God's grace or God's exodus of his people or God's selection of Abraham or God's electing mercy or God's ultimate plan to, for his son to return and for the world to be redeemed and made new, that energizes me. It's not just, oh, that's more great theology. Mm-hmm. It actually energizes and affects my emotional response and my sense of peace and well-being uh, holistically. Mm-hmm.
0: And would affect then obviously your actions as well. So we aren't mm-hmm. antinomian where we have a, a, uh, a heart that loves the Lord, but we do whatever we want, nor are we, and we'll get into this now legalism where we are, um, like Isaiah said, of the people of Israel, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts
1: far from me, that kind of thing. Right? Yeah. It, it's a lopsided message. Uh, antinomianism is a lopsided message. If, even if you're listening to your preacher and every message is about love, that's not the full gospel god loves you god loves you but let's not talk about the need for god's love if you're listening to the joel osteen types that love to talk about god's love and acceptance and mercy and how your potential and all this sort of stuff there's always truth in those kinds of messages but they're not fully true because they're not anchored in things like sin and wrath And human depravity so you're actually robbing people of the opportunity to fully appreciate god's grace or mercy because they've never actually been told who they are by nature apart from god's Mm -hmm. saving grace so we're not trying to we're not trying to simply set as our goal balance but if we are balanced and we present people with a proper anthropology a proper view of man's instinctual depravity and brokenness and lostness. The the bad news before the good news. That's how Romans is, is arranged. The first three chapters are bad news. Then we have uh, seven chapters on good news. And then we get into the practical outworkings of that. That's the way you preach the gospel, the bad news. You need to understand what you need to be saved from, who you are by nature, how desperate you are apart from Christ. Then the good news, what Christ has done. And then the implications and um, expectations of that are in offering your body as a living sacrifice and so forth as we move through the Christian life. So then we have legalism and legalism falsely teaches either salvation, meaning justification specifically by works or that you can retain your justification by works. And we're not saying that either. You don't, you don't gain it and you don't retain it Mm -hmm. by works. You gain it by grace and you necessarily live better. Good works are a necessary aspect, a result of saving grace, but you don't retain it by your good works. The some of the churches that I w- would have been in uh, fell into the, the trap of legalism by essentially imposing what we would call man made rules, personal opinions on others, allowing no room for freedom of conscience. So. I say this tongue in cheek, but we have enough rules in the Bible to attend to. The last thing we need is people making up more for us, yeah. but they would add all sorts of implications. You know, they, they try to anchor it in scripture, but they would add all sorts of extra rules to the rules to make sure you're not forfeiting the rules. Uh, false religions do this They They try to, legislate you into nirvana or legislate you into heaven so you have to do a series of actions bow down a certain way prayer five times a day whatever it might be spinning prayer wheels putting up prayer flags going to mass whatever it might be they false religions are marked by a, a gospel that would say well you're actually justified you're made right before god by being um uh a good boy i was talking to uh an old colony mennonite fellow this week and we were talking about the fact that in in his church thank god they preach the full gospel now that you're saved by your by grace through faith in the lord jesus christ but he was telling me that there's still some old colony churches Uh, especially in south america where they would not allow those ministers to preach in his church because they still preach a salvation by works Mm. and so he was talking about how he was talking to uh, some old colony guys in this area and he asked them like how are you going to get to heaven and they essentially said well by by obedience and he had to correct them and help them to understand that no we're saved by grace through faith alone so even in the quote-unquote Anabaptist churches or churches that came out of the Reformation, they some of them have wandered away from true biblical doctrines of justification by grace through faith alone. Um, even being hyper protective in your liturgy, I'm not opposed to liturgy, but even being hyper protective in your liturgy to the point you can't conceive of worship, apart from your ecclesiastical traditions, is a form of legalism. Mm where they're they're almost on par and it, you'll often hear this with people well I don't sing any new music it's just the old stuff cuz somehow it's better I'm like can you not actually see how 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 error filled that mindset is that like if you believe that god only worked in the past that his holy spirit only worked in the past to inspire great hymns of the faith He's not working in the moment, or somehow you have to lock down a particular feel in your worship, a particular style in your worship from a past generation that you're so fearful that we're so compromised as a nation that you can't imagine singing glory-filled, God-honoring, biblical lyrics to God in the moment. That's legalism. That is imposing something on the text and upon your congregation that is not validated by the word of God. Now, if you, for whatever reason, choose to sing that your corpus of uh, music is from a particular era, for some other reason, I could care less. But it's very dangerous when we have this mindset that God was only working in the past, so we just do old stuff or you know god revealed to our forebears what the order of worship should be so god forbid we ever change that that is legalism and it needs to be confronted and you need to, you need to repent of that and stop hiding behind some veil of uh you know pontificating about the you know the great hymns of the faith and the great traditions of the past as if you know god was doing the great work then but he's absent now um so th- those would be forms of legalism, even in terms of, you know, dress styles. There's there's evidence that the reason why people started, quote unquote, dressing up for church is because Constantine, the, the Christianized emperor, would show up to Christian churches unannounced. So people were always dressing up because the emperor might show up. And, that, and then that sort of caught on. And we have this weird idea, well, you have to dress in a certain way for public worship, but, you know, private worship, it's it's, you know... Uh, all, all gloves off well if for whatever reason you just like to dress up for public worship have at it but don't try to impose that upon other people the bible imposes restrictions in the area of modesty yep but it doesn't impose a dress code upon uh the people of god in that regard and then legalism also manifests itself in this view that so we're talking about cultural issues that somehow we can fix civiliz- civilization by means of mere law. We cannot. What we can do is restrain evil. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose of the law in the social order. It's to restrain evil. So this is why you penalize evil as defined by God. You don't get to call evil, good and good evil. This is why you penalize murder. <clears throat> this is why you penalize sexual depravity. This is why you penalize inciting people to public blasphemy Mm -hmm. in a properly ordered society. This is why you don't have no-fault divorce laws. Mm -hmm. That's nonsense. Of course, if there's a divorce, someone's at fault or both parties are at fault. So laws are there to restrain evil and they're for the purpose of human flourishing, but they're not there to fix the world. Okay, that's really helpful to understand because um, I think
0: in my mind... Legalism was just about adding extra rules, not necessarily seeking to find salvation in rules, which I think you've played or explained very well. So what do you think are some of the factors that lead people to
1: one of these extremes? I think each of us has a bent in one way or the other. and a major aspect of that is our ecclesiastical history that if we're Christians the churches we grew up in or that even if we weren't in the church the churches that held sway over the culture within which we were raised <clears throat> even if it's historical sway and not present sway family history and we know parents are like I don't care just go to school I don't I don't need to see your report card to other families I want to see every grade if you don't get a 95 you're going to get in trouble that shapes your lawlessness or your propensity to want to be a rule follower, so family history, Uh, your own shame. Um, So sin always brings about shame, and those that are living with sin in their lives try to often compensate for it by piling on rules. So this is like the pharisaical mindset. They're clearly not committed to justice and righteousness, but they pile on rules to their followers to hide their own shame, to make themselves look better. Hmm. So legalism is at its core a a desire to hide oneself from the shame, to hide yourself from the shame of your own sin. Instead of living by grace and realizing, yes, I'm a sinner, I need grace, I need to then receive the saving grace of God and live in in his grace, the legalist tries to Mm self-justify. And then the antinomian does the exact same thing. So the antinomian wants to mitigate against being called out for their sin. This is why the pride movement, as a classic example, we're just going to say it out loud. Lesbianism is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Transgenderism is a sin. You can find me. You can charge me. You can send me to jail. You can run me out of the country. The Bible doesn't change. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And those are flat-out sins. Adultery is a sin. Fornication is a sin. Pornography is a sin. Bestiality is a sin. Pedophilia is a sin. It's all sin. Clip the soundbite. I don't care. It's a sin because God has said it's a sin. These things are sinful. Now, does that mean we go around peering through people's bedroom windows with flashlights to see what they're doing? No, unless, of course, there's victims involved. But... The old homosexual movement wanted basically the right to privately engage in these activities. And people are like, well, that's fair, so we'll let them do it. Let's not use our legal resources policing people's bedroom behavior. The modern homosexual movement is not content with that. They have all the, they have all the freedoms that anybody else has. They want you to celebrate it. You have to celebrate it. And they will bully you and harass you and intimidate you and try to find you and try to call you names. You're hateful. You're a bigot, whatever else. Because they want you. They have to get you to a point where you say, okay, we affirm it. It's okay. It's morally right. And the only reason why they're so incessant in doing that is because those lifestyles are innately shameful and shame is dismissed when you're affirmed by others Mm. so they have to be affirmed and we we have churches in our own city uh, that have have slid into the swamp of sin because they've said oh we now affirm your choices that you can have sex with anything that moves if you want and um that's what they want. Sadly, those churches and loose sight of the gospel and they they're only one generation away from from extinction. Now, under underlying these issues are, are pride. If you think you can work your way into God's good graces because you're a legalist, that's pride and antinomianism is is rebellion. And pride and rebellion are inextricably linked <clears throat> to be rebellious is to be prideful. And uh, it's like this view of Jesus has no expectations of me. So the, the, this is kind of, these are some of the background. It's it's largely to do with the preaching, the history, a uh, desire. It's two different tactics to hide our own sin. And theologically, they have a bearing in our theology and are, in fact, legalism and antinomianism are false teaching that needs to be confronted. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what I find so interesting in this conversation is that I look around and I think Western culture is so antinomian, but then at the same time is somewhat legalistic. They're, they're trying to force a form of legalism on their opponents to celebrate
1: <clears throat> radical autonomy and stuff. So why is that? Well, you, you can't live life without authority. There has to be some ultimate authority that you appeal to. So even in antinomianism is, is actually becomes legalism in the, in, the, in the corporate world, I should say in, in a public world, in the cultural context within which we live, because they then have a view of, let's say, liberty or rightness that you need to affirm in order for them to survive. And it's all about hiding behind their own shame. I was reading Romans chapter one, And Romans chapter 1, I mean, it it could have been written yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's a total expose of our culture. In Romans 1, 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The truth is just another word for God's laws. That which God has declared to be right and wrong, true and false. So they they suppress God's laws and... There's, people need to see that, that the godless suppress God's laws, or the righteous affirm God's laws. In fact, it'd be cool to do a little quick exegesis of Romans 1. Tell me this isn't um, super relevant as, as it pertains to what we see in the moment. <clears throat> it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, they drown it, they hold it down. And then there's this statement about how plain the truth has been made known to them by God. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them in what we call general revelation. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived So we perceive it. We can see it. We have the capacity to comprehend it. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So the creation reveals aspects of the creator Mm -hmm. by nature. And because of this, it says we're without excuse. So no one could say, well, God, you didn't give me enough revelation. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't have an ESV Bible in hand. Um, no one preached the gospel to me. By, by nature, God reveals enough of himself for us to affirm there is a creator. There's a creations, so therefore there must be a creator. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is why Darwinianism is so um, essential. It's nonsense as a theory, but it's essential because without Darwinian evolution, <clears throat> you're back to, the, to to square one, which is affirming that there's a creator in mm-hmm. a creation that has made a creation. It goes on to say, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So notice the interior man is darkened and becomes foolish when he rejects God. In other words, your IQ drops off. You actually become stupid. When you deny God, it doesn't matter what kind of a PhD you have or what your expertise in, you are stupider than you could be. Mm -hmm. If you deny God, you may be an expert in your own field, but you're actually stupider than you could be. If you're a scientist, that doesn't affirm God. You're missing a whole aspect of your observations of the physical world around you. But mankind has, or people kind as they would prefer, has a, Propensity to look wise. So even though they're, the Bible says they become foolish, we call that stinking thinking mm-hmm. in colloquial language. The passage goes on to say, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Here's the thing we always have to have a God, a source of authority. So they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man and birds and animals and creeping things. We still do that in the here and now. We have to have an authority. Mm-hmm. So, in the modern era, it might say, claiming to be wise, they became fools by exchanging the glory of the immortal God for cultural Marxism, for statism. The state is made up of man, and it when it functions as God, it's functioning in the place of God, and it's the same sin that we see recorded in the opening chapter to Romans. So, God then doubly damns. God, like, starts to pour out his wrath upon rebellious humanity it says therefore god gave them up it's kind of like okay you want to live in your sin you want to live in the swamp i'm going to start pulling out the life preservers and you can just flail around in the muck and mire Mm -hmm. and we'll just see how it goes for Mm you so it says god gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves and notice that one of the prime expressions of man unchained from god is unfettered sexual sin Mm -hmm. that's mankind it is a sexual beast apart from the restraining law of god and it never goes well for him because they exchange the truth of god about god for a lie and worship and serve the creator the creature i should say rather than the creator who is forever blessed so god gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature right there that's lesbianism Mm -hmm. and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another that's homosexuality men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error which i think is a reference to some of the physical consequences of that kind of a lifestyle. So, as I mentioned on one of the Liberty Broad uh, Dispatch uh, podcasts, we're not just motivated by anger at sin, we're also motivated by compassion for people. Like people need to be told, dude, this is not healthy for you. This is not beneficial to you. This is not good for children. This is not good for marriage. This is not good for human civilization, but we're told, oh, it's a consequenceless act. Sin is never consequence-less. It always has consequences. It's always devastating. It's always, it's disease or broken relationships or emptiness or suicidal thoughts or whatever it might be. And the passage just goes on to talk about how the debasing of their mind then opens the door for evil, covetousness, malice, murder, strife, deceit, gossip, slander, haters of God, on and on and on and on. Everything falls apart. The wheels fall off the cart disobedience towards parents, all of these consequences in the here and now are a result. If you follow the trail back to a denial of the supremacy of God. Mm -hmm. And so um, when the church buys into that, when the church says, well, you can just kind of freewheel it through life. You don't have to live under the authority of God. They're pushing themselves and other people towards absolute destruction it's like, well, God God covers it all, so sin away. The precious blood of Jesus covers it all, so sin away. And then the world's going to say, well, if you believe that, then we're going to sin away. Mm-hmm. Every church that flies the flag, every church that permits no-fault divorce, every church that permits fornication, every church that commits any sort of sin is actually setting an, a bad example for the world around them and leading people away. They're literally guilty of putting a millstone uh, or, or if, um, they're, they're literally susceptible to having a millstone put around their necks by leading, quote unquote, the little children away mm-hmm. from God. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was thinking about this as well, Chris. I've said in the past how sin is always tied to an attack on the goodness of God. <laughs> but if you think about sin, Sin, maybe this is helpful for people, sin is always an attack on authority. Whenever we disobey God, we're attacking his authority. Whenever, No matter what the sin is, a sin of the mouth, a sin of the mind, sin of the eyes. Whenever we sin, we're essentially saying, I will not recognize your authority, God. Mm -hmm. And then in human relationships, when a child disobeys their parent, that's an attack on authority. When a wife disobeys her husband, that's an attack on authority. When a congregant disobeys their elder, that's an attack on authority. When a citizen disobeys their king, that's an attack on authority. And insofar as those authorities are serving within their limited job descriptions, we are to obey them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: If you're in a church, you must obey your pastors unless they're asking you to do something unbiblical, you must obey them or you are sinning. And the same is true of all those other institutions within culture that God has put in place. Sin is always an attack on authority. In other words, it's always about self-law. It's always about autonomy. Mm -hmm. Autonomy, antinomianism, anti-law, autonomy, self-law. So antinomians... They're antinomians, but to be an antinomian requires you also be autonomous. So to be anti-law means you need to be governed by self-law because you can't think, exist, make decisions apart from laws, right? Um, <clears throat> so every sin is an attack on authority. And we see in our culture, promiscuity is an attack on the authority of God. Wokeness is an attack on the authority of God. Hyper-grace churches, that's an attack on The authority of God. To fail to regularly meet together with the people of God is a sin. To fail to put yourself under the authority of a Christian church is a sin. If you're one of those freewheeling Christians that just kind of stays home and has church, you're sinning. To not be under the authority of duly appointed elders, it's a sin. You're not your own pastor for a wife to say i only obey my husband when i want to that's a sin in marriage for a parent for a child to say i don't need to do it with my mom and dad that's a sin just like to blaspheme god is a sin to disobey god's laws in the air of sexuality it's a sin sin is always about rebellion it's always about autonomy it's always about an attack on authority Now, Christ fulfilled the law. This is really important for people to hear. Christ fulfilled the law. That means you don't have to keep the law in order to, quote unquote, get saved. But to say, well, Christ fulfilled the law, therefore I don't need to keep the law, is an error. So let me say that again. Christ fulfilled the law. That means you don't need to keep the law to get saved. In other words, in order to... Be justified you don't keep the law yep. but to then conclude well christ fulfilled the law therefore i don't need to keep the law is an error mm-hmm. how so it's, it's like when people say well the old testament is obsolete the law is obsolete all the laws of god are obsolete i can do what i want because it's all by grace this is this hyper grace mentality actually a better way of thinking it is christ fulfilled the law in order to enable you to keep the law mm. He saved you so that you would be empowered by him, by his Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. through the operative work of his grace in your life to live in obedience to God, to walk in the footsteps of Christ, not for your justification but certainly for your sanctification. Romans 1, a famous verse says, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ, what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by sinful man. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering for us. I memorized that years ago. That's, I think that's NIV. There's no, there's no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. but in the ESV, if you go on and you look at verses uh, six to eight, it says, For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now listen to this. For the mind that is not, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. The natural carnal man does not submit to God's law. We know that. And, and then it goes on to say indeed it cannot so not only does it not but it cannot it doesn't and it can't people sin and they don't have the capacity to obey it's called total depravity Mm -hmm. so then you're sort of out of the 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 the, uh, the running for two reasons because you've sinned and because you necessarily sin you're ontologically a sinner And you're practically a sinner. But then it goes on to say, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then you, however, so now speaking to the church, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So there's been a transaction that's taken place. You're now in the spirit. Therefore, you can, the implications are now you can submit to God's laws, not of your own flesh, Mm -hmm. not of your own effort, but because of the spirit, you can submit to God's laws. And get this, you should submit to them. Mm -hmm. You should submit to God's laws. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have a spirit of God does not belong to him. So, this is really important for people to understand. You're not saved so that you can just live the libertine, libertarian Ruleless life, you are saved unto yourself sanctification. God justifies you; He fulfills the law so that you can keep the law of God. Again, not perfectly. We all stumble because we're not glorified yet; we're not fully sanctified. But it's it's such an error to 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 communicate to people in any way, shape, or form that you can just kind of do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. No, you are now empowered and commissioned. To obey, you must obey the Lord if you're a Christian and you should strive to obey the Lord. So biblically, we're justified by grace through faith alone. We absolutely affirm that, but we're still commanded to obey the laws of God that pertain to the life of a Christian. Justification is about your standing, but obedience is about your sanctification. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. Both justification and sanctification are equally important to God. Hmm. We don't need to prioritize one over the other. One is necessarily precedes, but just because something precedes doesn't mean it's a priority over. Justification precedes sanctification, but God wants you to be sanctified. And he's done everything possible to resource you and enable you to do that. So you must necessarily, as a Christian, pursue holiness in the here and now. And if you're in a church that doesn't get this, th- there needs to be some correct- correctives made. Um, it's not a free-for-all. It's not like, well, I've been married five times, but, you know, grace allows me to get married to six. No, there's times when you're out of the game. Uh, there's consequences to sin. There's a call to holiness and righteousness. So this is really mm-hmm. important for people to um, to, to understand that. that it's not so subtle, but there's a, we need to make sure we understand the place of justification and sanctification uh, in the Christian life. That's really good. The um,
0: thought going through my head is in part, well, there's a, there's a lot of things going through. But one that comes back to me is, what does this have to do with forest fires? <laughs>
1: Absolutely nothing. That was just a hook. Oh come no, on! No. <laughs> all smoke and, mirror. yeah. all smoke and yeah. mirrors. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all smoke to your line. <laughs> That's good. Uh, the forest fire thing. I was actually talking to my dad, who spent 30 years as a forest or a, a firefighter, and I said, "Dad, you used to go into houses, and you know, there's all sorts of materials and houses burning." <clears throat> this is like forest fire smoke. Are you really that concerned? But he's like, "No." There, there, is, there is a light smoke in the air, it's not great. You know. I'd, I'd rather have f- full sun. But I just find it fascinating how worked up people get about this and how much it's in the news cycle as if mm-hmm. it's the end of the world or something. And it was the same thing with the COVID stuff. I just think talk about ex- an exaggerated response. I don't deny COVID, I just don't think the response was commensurate to the threat. And the whole forest fire and climate change stuff, it's just such an exaggerated response. And again, Chris, it's not about whether there's fires or not. It's just another example of self salvation. Yeah. The desire for self salvation. If we can just reduce this or tax you in this way, we're going to fix the world while at the same time, trying to maintain radical autonomy out from under God. So, whether it's trying to fix the world by putting out forest fires or creating fake meat or depopulation, or somehow we're gonna fix the world and bring about greater liberty and freedom by having old wrinkly men dance naked in water fountains in front of little children. Like somehow that's the goal here. It's all nonsense. And I just wanna encourage Christians, don't jump on these bandwagons. All these ideologies. Don't jump on these bandwagons. All all of these things are an attempt to... Even the indigenous issues. Okay, I don't in any way, shape, or form validate or affirm some of the things that happen to indigenous peoples in in the North Americas, in North America, or even in South America, for that matter. But I just think it's a fake justice issue for these people. It's just another attempt to to blame the Christian God for the problems of the world. Mm. And... Carnal man, apart from Christ, doesn't even care about his neighbor. So I do not believe as much as they've convinced themselves otherwise that any of these indigenous rights issues are actually true justice issues in the minds of those that are behind them. They, they're all attempts to, to point the finger at God and to aid in this lie that God is the bad guy. The Christian church are the bad people. We can burn churches down, that's no problem. The smoke from churches, that's not a big deal. That's incense on the pagan altar, essentially. We can burn churches down. We can uh, live out from under God and then somehow fix the world by ourselves. And it's never going to happen. The full gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can bring personal transformation. And the laws of God are the only thing that can really bring about change and a, I'm not talking about a utopian state but a better mm. ordered society and even if you're pessimistic about that I don't really care because you have a responsibility to walk justly and righteously and just let God do what God's going to do Yep. and maybe he'll bring about another revival or maybe he'll bring about uh, a, a, a reformation uh, in, in this world or maybe Jesus Christ will come back really soon but we don't know. Um, I, I, I think that all, some will hear in that eschatological overtones, and those are there, but I, I just think that all eschatologies should at minimum agree to stand for the absolute lordship of Christ over creation that's so basic to the gospel, and do the right thing regardless of your perceived outcome mm-hmm. or a series of events that will, will come next. All of these issues, forest fires, <clears throat> COVID, It's not really about trees burning. There's always an ideological agenda attached to them. Mm -hmm. Always, always, always an ideological agenda attached to them. And you need to spot the lies. By the way, with regard to forest fires, we do advocate for creational stewardship. Mm -hmm. We have dominion over it. So we should be thinking about ways to tend to the proverbial garden of the earth as we've been commanded. With regard to viruses, yeah, we don't want to spread them around. We have quarantine laws. We, we want to keep ourselves healthy. We did a podcast on uh, gluttony last week and I had a medical practitioner tell me he appreciated that and also emphasized how if you don't take care of your body, you reduce your ministry effectiveness, which is mm-hmm. which is a good insight. Yep. Um, so we, we we care for our bodies, but we also have something called resurrection hope. It's mm-hmm. not our be all and end all. And at the same time, we enjoy the fat of a land. We have no problem eating meat with good marbling in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have no problem eating fruits or the things that the world produces. We have a a balance and that's based upon an appreciation for the benevolence of God. As for God's laws applied to the public uh, uh, sphere, again, hopefully it's helpful just to remind people, not all the laws of God are church laws. They're not all, I mean, obviously you shouldn't be murdering people in your churches. But thou shalt not murder is not a church law. It's a law that pertains to uh, social order. Church laws are laws like obey your elders. uh, Do not forsake the gathering together of believers that some are in the habit of doing. Mm -hmm. Laws pertaining to the Lord's Supper. Laws pertaining to baptism. Uh, laws pertaining to church discipline and how to treat one another within the church. There's ecclesiastical laws, but there's also laws, murder, perjury, even marriage laws. Those aren't ma- marriage. The state does not have the authority given to it by God to redefine marriage. Mm-hmm. And they think they do because, again, past Christians made the mistake of allowing them to somehow become the arbiters over marriage. So now you got to get a marriage license from the state. It literally means nothing. The state has a vested interest in uh, recognizing marriage because it's a building block to human civilization and therefore human flourishing. But the state doesn't decide who gets to get married and who doesn't. That's that's creational in its origin. And So God's laws pertaining to so I I heard a Christian years ago say when this whole same sex stuff was coming out in 2005, well, we shouldn't speak out against this because we don't want to like Christianize people. Hmm. It's like, well, if, if you mean by that, we don't want to make people act like church people just because they're they're obeying a certain law. Maybe you have a point. but this isn't about church life. This is about basic human civilization. and God's laws, when they're obeyed in, in social, the social order, reduce crime, reduce economic devastation, and they, they, they provide for human flourishing. And so to to say, no, I think we should have marriage should be reserved for one man, one woman, for life. There's always fault in divorce. So we, we, should, we should make it difficult for people to get divorced. <laughs> pa- parents should provide for their children. This is actually a justice issue. Mm-hmm. When you stand for same-sex marriage, or no-fault divorce, you're actually guilty of promoting public injustice because there's consequences for that on all the people involved, and it's an it's a justice issue. Lives are destroyed and devastated by saying, oh, these things don't matter. Even work. The government doesn't have the right to tell you you can't work six days and rest on the seventh. Hmm. That's not an ecclesiastical law. That's a creational law. Read the opening chapters of the Bible. So... We should advocate for them in culture, and when we do people flourish and people benefit from that. It doesn't mean the world's saved through those things, mm-hmm. but we should all take a vested interest in reducing the public expression of evil if we don't if we don't have an interest in that, if we don't have an interest in penalizing the evildoer and rewarding the just the, the righteous, why do we affirm what's taught in Romans 13, which is one of the jobs of the magistrate? Mm-hmm. So the magistrate, uh, the king or the emperor, depending on what situation you're in, advocates for these things, not so people somehow get saved or get to heaven. It's not obscuring the gospel, Mm -hmm. but it allows for a properly ordered society, which is a justice issue, and it also allows for human flourishing.
0: And actually prepares the way for the gospel in terms of revealing people's sin. If there's no law, then there's no awareness of sin. That is a big part of the law. So. Good point. Appreciate that. Good stuff. Well, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate that uh, connection. As I was listening to you recap about forest fires, it just struck my mind that prior to COVID, we were dealing with forest fires in Australia. Like a, it's like an inclusio, bookend. Hopefully that means we're done with COVID. <laughs> so who knows? Anyways, thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. Hope you uh, enjoyed it. Please share the podcast out. You uh, can find this podcast both on the pursuitofglory.org website, as well as the Fight, Laugh, Feast network and their app. And we hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.